0: We're starting a new series, and it's great to see everybody this morning. I hope this series will be really, really encouraging to you. But we are going to touch, uh, touch the bases in uh, the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. We're going to start in chapter 1 and, and, uh, and verse 1. This is going to be a great, 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 awesome study. I hope very helpful for you. Today we're going to talk about rebellion. And then next week... After I upset you, we'll talk about renewal, and then I'll encourage you, and then we'll talk about repentance, and then I'll upset you, and then we'll talk about reflection. Eh, That's a toss-up, but that's where we'll end, and then you can decide whether you want to keep coming to Cross Point Church or not, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But uh, anyways, but yeah, we're going to be in the book of Jonah and the uh, weapon of mass instruction, the Bible, and I'm really looking forward to it. So let me pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you, and we do. We humble ourselves. There's nothing that we have, nothing that we could wear, nothing that we could bring. There's no amount of money or prestige or popularity or any kind of religious works that we could bring to you. And it would be enough uh, to qualify to be in your presence of holiness and perfection. And so we just want to stop right now. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for grace and compassion. We thank you that the missionary endeavor you started in the book of Acts with the coming of the Holy Spirit, that missionary effort reached us. It reached our ancestors, or it reached us as a first generation believer, or it it reached us in this part of the world. And we're grateful that you are a missionary God, that you're a God in white hot pursuit of rebels, that you are a God that will not allow darkness to be the final say in our destination, but that you pull us out of darkness into light. You change our lives. You bring transformation. You change hearts and minds. You are the God of grace. You are the God of irresistible grace. And so we pray that you would have your work in our life. And God, help me to get out of the way. Help me to be merely a vessel by which you speak in and through. And may your word, may it wrap me, may it wrap this church, may it wrap each family in truth and in love, and in righteousness, and in Christ-centeredness. And God, we give you this series of Jonah. This is a powerful story. It's a a sensational story of dramatic encounters, and dramatic rebellion, and dramatic renewal, and repentance. And so, Lord, I pray that 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 whole process uh, that Jonah went through, uh, that we would not be as stubborn as Jonah. We would learn our lessons quicker, But, Lord, that you would bring us to the outcome of Nineveh, which is this repentance and transformation. So, God, give us this book in a special and powerful way, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we are in Jonah, and we're going to be in chapter 1, chapter 1 and verse 1. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about, and what this chapter is talking about, is it's talking about rebellion, all right? Rebellion. It's, it's, it is it's a case study in rebellion. Everybody knows the story of Jonah. Jonah is the guy that runs far from God. The, he's the guy that goes in the opposite direction, and that's what rebellion is. Now, understand that there are some types of rebellions that we talk about that are kind of inspiring or good, like we rebelled against the British Empire. Right on, right on, right on. Yeah, you know what I mean? Or there's rebellions against bad things. Well, I'm going to rebel against this government or, or whatever. There's good rebellions but make no mistake about it what we're talking about is the bad kind of rebellion we're talking about rebellion defined as God tells me to do one thing and not only do I sit down and not do it but I get up and go in the opposite direction of what God is telling me to do now I want you to know something this is this is so important Jesus came into the world to save rebels amen rebellion and human failure is never final as long as the grace of God is operational. And many of us, we're rebelling in different ways, maybe about something in particular. God's telling us something very specific that we're running from. Or maybe we're just not believers. And there's a chance that some of you, you're not believers, you're not a Christian, you're rebelling against the gospel of Jesus, no matter what. This book is about how God pursues rebels. In fact, I debated on how I would title this sermon. I was thinking, what would be a good title for today's sermon? And I was like, bad boys and the God who loves them. Uh, Rebels and the God who loves them. But no matter how you put it, what this chapter is about and what this book is about is that God's business, listen, not like a, it's not like a sideline thing for God. It's not like, oh, I'll get to that if I, like the the central thing that God is doing is pursuing rebels and changing rebels. So there's hope. Even if you're stubborn and stiff necked today, you got hope today. Amen. And that's what we're talking about. Now, what I want to talk about with rebellion is I want to talk about very specific lies. What Jonah 1 tells us is very specific lies. Everybody say lies. Very specific lies that lead us to rebel against God. And I want to expose the lies that cause me and you uh, on any given day to walk away and to run from God. And Jonah chapter 1 exposes these lies. So we're going to talk about the heart of rebellion or the lies of rebellion. And then I'll follow that up by talking about the heart of God. So I think I'm going to talk, depending upon time, everybody say time. If I have enough time, I might give you five lies. But if I don't have enough time, I'll give you four lies. But they'll all come from Jonah chapter 1. I'm extracting these lies from the text of Jonah chapter 1. I'm not making these up. I'm too dumb to make up stuff, loved ones. I am not creative. I am totally dependent upon a text. I'm like, God, tell me what to say because I do not know what to say. Because it's like tumbleweed in this brain. You know what I'm saying? So I'm extracting these lies from Jonah chapter 1. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, let's just jump into it. Let's read the first few verses. Our goal is to get through all of chapter 1. Right on, right on, right on. All right, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come, upon, come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he he paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now... I want to just give you, I don't have to put up a map on this screen to tell you the difference between Tarshish and between Nineveh. Here's where Nineveh, you want to know where Nineveh was? Nineveh was northern Iraq. Everybody say Iraq. We know all about Iraq. We got soldiers coming. God bless them. They went over there, not to save those people, but kill them because the government bears the sword. Amen. But Christians were missionaries. Jonah was sent to go to Iraq. God said, I want you to go to Iraq and save the Iraqis. I want you to go there. And guess what he does? He goes in the very opposite direction. He goes down to Joppa, which is around Tel Aviv, modern-day Tel Aviv. And and Joppa was this big seaport. He gets on the boat, and he goes off into the Mediterranean Sea. And there's a huge—everybody say, huge— huge debate about where is Tarshish the best scholars and most of most scholars have a consensus now not everybody's agreed upon this most people think that Tarshish is Spain now I don't have to, do I have to put up a map to show you the difference between Iraq and Spain I don't have to I don't have to put up a, Iraq is all the way over here and Jonah said not only am I not going to go there because listen Rebellion is never static. We're either moving away from God or moving to God. You are never. It's not like you can say, you know what? I'm just going to stay right here spiritually. And then I won't rebel, but I won't move forward. But this is good for me. Like, that's not the way. We are dynamic, fluid folks. We got hearts and blood, and we're just dynamic. You are so dynamic. And Jonah not only sits down, he says, I'm going to go as far away, Spain, as possible. And that's what rebellion is. Now, the first lie. What? How is it that Jonah could rebel against the... What lie deceived his heart? Number one. The number one lie that Jonah teaches us is that only irreligious people rebel against God. That's a lie. Jonah is not irreligious. In fact, Jonah is a prophet of God. Jonah is a man of God. Jonah knows the Bible. Jonah goes to church. Jonah sings all the songs. Jonah has most of the songs, In fact, probably all of the Psalms of David memorized. He's got all of Deuteronomy memorized. That dude could, he bleeds scripture, this guy. This guy prays to God. This guy has preached for God. Jonah is a prophet of God. Now, do irreligious people rebel against God? Absolutely. But the lie is that rebellion is a topic for irreligious people. You know what we think of when we hear rebellion? We hear don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do. True or false? That's what we think. We think, we think of those wicked people in Las Vegas with their pornography and fornication. You know what I mean? That's what we think when we hear rebellion. Jonah teaches us that rebellion is not just about irreligious people. Rebellion is very much about religious, spiritual people, people who know God. Now, let me give you some context. Here we go. You ready for some scripture? I'm going to give you so much scripture, I'm going to put some of it on the board. All right, Brad, you ready to go, baby? All right, let's do this. All right, I'm going to give you context. Who is Jonah? Let me show you how religious Jonah is. We find Jonah in the book of 2 Kings. Now, before I go to the verse, I want to go to 2 Kings chapter 13. Brad, you got that slide up? All right, there it is, baby. My goal in using verses on the screen is never to look back because that's just unprofessional and it doesn't work with the tie. Okay. 2 <laughs> Kings chapter 13, starting in verse 3. Ah, oh, See, I did it. Yeah, okay, 3 through 5. All right, I'll never look back again. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 3. Here's why I'm going to read this. Because, Jonah was a prophet during Jeroboam the second's reign. Jeroboam the second's grandfather. A lot of stuff happened. So let me start with the context of Jeroboam's grandfather, who was a king, all right? And, uh, and I'll move to Jonah's uh, historical context. But 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 3, it says this, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael. Then Jehoaz sought the favor of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Syria oppressed them. Therefore, the Lord gave Israel a savior so that they escaped from the hands of the Syrians, and the people of Israel lived in their homes as formerly. Now, what this is saying is, is that Jeroboam's granddaddy was sinful. The people of Israel were sinful. God is allowing the enemies to take over these sinful people, these Israelites. But then they call out to God, and God, in grace and compassion, what does He do? He provides a savior to deliver. Israel from their enemies despite the fact that they are evil. You get that? You follow me? All right. Now, go. Go go to chapter 13 verse 22. Brad, you got that one, buddy? I'm not looking back, man. All right, chapter 13 verse 23, it says this. But the Lord was gracious to them. Everybody say gracious. And had compassion on them. And he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, And would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. Not only has God provided a savior for the evil Israelites, but God has had compassion on them. God has been gracious to them, despite themselves. God has been good to them. And so now we come to the grandson and Jeroboam, who was the king, who ruled during the time of Jonah. We're going to chapter 14 and starting in verse 23, all right? Starting in verse 23, it says this, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and he reigned 41 years. Watch this. Is Jeroboam good or evil? He's evil. Verse 24, And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Leban- L- Lahamoth as far as the Sea of Araba, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amitai, the prophet, who was from Gath, Heifer. Gath Heifer. Jonah's from Gath Heifer. And Jonah, I love that name, by the way. Where do you live? Heifer. You know what I mean? I love that. That's probably why he's a little insecure, but we won't talk about that. Now, here's the deal. I want you to catch this. It's vitally important. Jonah saw the grace of God He saw God provide a savior for the Israelites. He saw God be compassionate and gracious with the Israelites. He even saw during Jeroboam's reign, who was evil, Jeroboam extend the border. In fact, Jonah was the prophet that went into Jeroboam, the king, and went to the people of Israel. And he said, we're going to extend our borders because God is going to give us the original borders that we had during David and Solomon's reign. And it's going to be big, fat borders, even though you, Jeroboam, are evil. Yet even though you're evil, this is Jonah's message to the Israel, even though you're evil, God is gracious. Even though you rebel, God is giving you back your original borders. God is extending your territory. What we ask ourselves when we come back to Jonah chapter 1, when God comes to this Jonah who preached that message to Israelites of a Savior, compassion, extending the borders, God being gracious to evil Israelites, when God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go preach at Nineveh, I want you to preach repentance, what Jonah immediately understands is that God is going to save evil Assyrian people just like he saved the Israelites. And while he wanted his people saved, he did not. Everybody say did not. He did not want the Assyrians saved. That's why going back to Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. It's up on the screen. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. Jonah tells us why he, even though religious, even though spiritual, even though God-fearing, even though Bible-reading, even though prayer-centered, even though church-centered, this is why he rebelled, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In other words, Jonah didn't run and leave ministry altogether because he was scared of the task or because he was scared of going 500 miles. Nineveh was 500 miles from Gath-hefer. That's how far it was. 500 miles he would have to try. He wasn't worried about the traveling. He wasn't worried about how scary it was or how dangerous it was. Here's what he was scared about. You're going to give my enemies grace just like you gave me grace. Isn't it fun? It's funny, isn't it? You say, how do religious people rebel against God when we want mercy from God for ourselves, but we want justice for our enemies? When our heart says, yes, God, I will... I will privatize my spirituality. I will, I, will, I, will, I will consume my spirituality and my Christianity like it's a product that I can enjoy at home. But in the meantime, would you please judge this world and the people who are so evil in it? That's how religious people rebel. That's always how God's people have rebelled. God's people have always rebelled. From Israel to the church, from Old Testament to New Testament, they've always rebelled against this idea that God wants to save the world, not judge it. That the whole reason why the day of the Lord has not come and, and the whole world hasn't become an ash heap yet is because God is a missionary God. And he calls his people, he calls his people to be the light of the world, to be missionary. To, to, to strategize and to order the church in such a way to where more people are reached, more people are baptized, more people are introduced to the grace of God. And the reason why we fell against that is either, number one, we've forgotten that we are sinners saved by grace, and so we develop some kind of superiority complex against everybody else. And so when we think about sinners outside of the church or people who don't know God, we go, barbarians pagans if we get far enough away from our own conversion experience if we get far enough away from our own first experience of forgiveness we begin to sense you know what God chose me because well I made this great decision for God and you know I had the guts to go to church I had the guts to get my family to church I had the guts to listen to the preacher and to do it. if he told me to tie I tithe. If he told me to pray, I prayed. If he told me to read my Bible, I read my Bible. And if they, listen, if they make their bed, they can sleep in it or they can have the guts like I had and come on to church and meet God. And we forget that the Bible says that the only reason we're saved is not because we've made a heroic decision, but because God's grace superabounds over sin. And he will have mercy on whom he has mercy and he will have compassion on whom he has compassion. Jonah knew. That, see, that's, that's how we rebel. Maybe we don't, maybe we don't uh, cuss most of the time. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we pay our taxes and, and we are responsible with our money. And maybe listening to the pastor preach about money for four weeks actually excites us a little bit. Because we're so godly. But if in our hearts we don't want our church and our life to be engaged with the world in such a way to where we're salt and light and people are coming and being saved, then we'll rebel. We're running from God. You can read the Bible all you want. You can bleed scripture. You, can, you Some of you probably do know the Bible better than I do. and I've been to seminary. If we want the church, if we define the church and our experience with God as something that's about our comfort and our convenience, we're rebelling against God. If we, if we say, you know, I'm glad this is a small church. I, I'm glad that we're small. we not one of those big old churches because then I can know everybody. And then, and, then, and then people will know me. And then, and then maybe, maybe I'll feel better about myself. I'll be more comfortable in that situation. We are rebelling. There's too many people in a five-mile radius right around us who are, who are going to die and go to hell and miss out on God. Whereas you have received the grace of God. You've received forgiveness from God. And you're not really that interested in praying or whatever. And it happens to me too, loved ones. It's easier to not be on mission. It's way, way easier to turn inward and to say, you know, I want mercy for myself. And meanwhile, I'll sit here and wait for the second coming because I can't wait to see this world get judged. I can't wait for those atheists to really figure out there is a God. I can't wait for those agnostic, those indecisive agnostics to finally realize that there really is a holy God. I'm just going to wait here. And I can't. I hope Jesus comes back now. Lord Jesus, come. I love those verses of the other minor prophets where it says, I'll join God and judge the nations. That's right. I'm going to ride that white horse with Jesus. He's all tatted up with King of Kings, Lord of Lords, on his thigh. He bears a sword. He's coming back. I'm going to rise up and meet him and come down with him. And boom, together, me and Jesus. And I've got my nations picked out, by the way. see that I'm rebelling i'm also rebelling as a religious spiritual person a person who's met jesus when i can't forgive and i can't even do something basic like forgive my enemies i'm running if i can't forgive my enemies despite the fact that i've been forgiven then i'm running jesus said to whom much has been given much is expected in the area of forgiveness but listen church The church mission is not community. But the community of the church exists for mission. Our whole reason for existence is not our comfort... Not our convenience. We don't tithe so that then we can come to the pastor and say, "Well, now that I've tithe, I, I get some benefits from that, right?" It's like a club. It's like working out at an exercise place or or a country club. If I tithe, then then it's going to be all about me. No, no, no. no. You tithe so that more people can be reached with the gospel. It's not about convenience. It's not about com- comfort. It's about people coming to Jesus and being taught what he commanded them and them getting baptized and them getting saved. It's about being a light of the world, shining city on a hill. Listen to Matthew. I'm going to read some verses to you. They'll be up on the screen. Matthew chapter 28. Verses 18 and following Jonah forgot the Great Commission, which started with Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to, through you, you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And here's Jesus with the Great Commission again. Matthew 28, verse 18 and following. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go suffer, go make that long trip to Nineveh, go through the desert, go through danger, go through discomfort, go to people you don't even like, people you wouldn't normally hang out with. Go to people, go to the uncomfortable places because Jesus humbled himself and came to the uncomfortable place of earth. By the way, would you rather stay in heaven or be on earth? I'm, I'm, I'm voting for heaven, amen? Jesus said, Tree. Jesus had robes of glory, he had angels who were praising him 24-7. He was, getting, he was getting heavenly cocktails anytime he wanted. He had perfect service. His food was brought to him on time. And what did he do? He made himself uncomfortable. He humbled himself. He was thoughtfully engaged in mission. He came to the earth to save sinners, to save rebels, because there are bad boys and there is the God who loves them. Luke chapter 24, this will be up on the screen, Luke chapter 24, verse 46, and Jesus said to them, thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Speaking of that, go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And do you know how many Jonas there are in American churches right now that are running from that? They think that being filled with the Holy Spirit is about their head spinning around and rolling around in the aisle. They think that being filled with the Holy Spirit is getting some prosperity or extending their borders or feeling better about themselves or some other kind of pop psychology nonsense. Listen, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You want to experience the Holy Spirit? Go be a witness for Jesus. And belong to a church community that wants to be a witness for Jesus. That's how you experience the Holy Spirit. Is it easy? No, it's hard. And that's why Jesus told the disciples, listen, they're going to bring you. They're going to bring you in front of the courts. And they're going to arrest you. And they're going to, they're but listen, don't worry about it because you're going to be my witnesses. And the Holy Spirit will give you the words in the times that you need it so that you can be my witnesses. I want to be Holy Spirit filled. Man, I'm I'm practically Pentecostal, but for really good theology. But I'm a Holy Ghost guy. We got to have the Holy Spirit. I got to depend, I got to have a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit every single day. And I want to experience the Holy Spirit. And you know the greatest times of experience I've ever had in the Holy Spirit? When I'm talking to other people about Jesus. Because I'm half scared out of my mind. And do you know churches that I've seen where there's less conflict and more movement? Where there's there's less like you know, this I don't like this little thing. I don't like this little thing. I, I don't. you know the less you hear that stuff and the more you see movement is when churches are, are they're fired up about the mission and the Holy Spirit's bringing unity and the Holy Spirit's bringing power. That's what all the Book of Acts is about. Listen, it is, it is a lie that rebellion is about irreligious people. Rebellion is as much about religious, spiritual, biblical people as anybody else. And it's found in the area of a lack of a heart for mission. And we've got to repent. Listen, I've been hurt. I'm telling you. I've been hurt in the church. I've been just like John. I want to leave. There's been times when I want to just leave ministry. Because frankly, sometimes... I like working with pagans more than I do Christians, with the exception of Isaac Downing. He is a phenomenal brother. I'd work with him for the rest of my life. But listen, man, Christians in the church get weird. They don't act normal, they bag on each other all like passive aggressively and snip, but they make it look like they're not snipping. It's weird. And the reason why that happens in churches, especially smaller churches, is because there's a mentality, see? And the mentality is, is that the church exists to serve me as opposed to God put me in the church to serve him. There's a big difference. And it's a big diff- different mentality. Jonah's a great man. He's a man of God. And God loves Jonah. But Jonah is being selfish. And he's running and we're called to live for something. Now listen, I'm gonna hit this, I'm gonna pound this nail all year long. And what's gonna happen with Cross Point Church is we're gonna get on such a dynamic trajectory of mission and evangelism. I don't you know what? I don't care if we grow, I want quality before I want quantity. But I think in the Great Commission, when you read that, Jesus says, you know you're humming when you have both quality of discipleship and quantity of disciples. It's not an either or proposition in the Great Commission. Multiplication. There's too many people around us for us not to grow. So we're going to spend money to grow. We're going to promote our church in the community. We're going to advertise. We're going to be a shining city on a hill. We're going to be a light to our community. And we're going to make decisions where mission is the priority, not our own comfort. Now there is comfort and there's ministry and there's things that we need to do to take care of each other in community. There needs to be in reach and outreach. But listen, I don't think we're struggling with in reach right now. I think I think we are some of the nicest, most you are some of the nicest, most generous, caring, loving people. But we've got to turn this church inside out, baby. And we got to get fired up about welcoming new people and making sure we're not too clickish and making sure we're not sending out unspoken, nonverbal communication like, "Hey, you're, you haven't been around here as long as I have because I've been here for like thirty years and I know all the three families." You know, it's like the Godfather, like the heads of the five families. You know what I mean? Nobody has to pass a test to be a part of this community. We got to love. We got to reach out, and we got to pray. Everybody say, "Pray." We got to pray. Man, listen to me. We got, I just got to tell you, I was not planning on saying this, and I still got like 15 points left in this sermon. This is not going to work out, but listen. Listen. We got so many sick people in this church right now. Did you know that? We are under spiritual attack. And we've got to pray, loved ones. I'm not talking about sending an email to everybody. I'm talking about on Sunday mornings. We need to get down here and pray. Now, nobody's going to start shaking in the Holy Ghost or doing something funky. We're not going to start handling snakes. Amen? And nobody's waiting for a spaceship around here, but we've got to pray for one another. We've got to rise up and really pray to God. I mean, really pray to God. And then we've got to pray for the lost, we've got to pray for our sick and we got to pray for the lost and then we need and we need to pray that this church grows now that shouldn't be an idol in our life we're just praying for it it's the lord that adds to our number but we need to pray for spiritual growth and numeric growth and you read the book of acts and i did it at our vision night i read every verse in that book of acts there was like 10 of them where it says and god multiplied their numbers or god added to their numbers or that was definitely a sign of spiritual explosion. But we got to pray for each other. We got to pray for our sick. And we got to pray for the lost. And we got to not settle. If we get to the end of this year, and we're still at 121 adults in this site. I mean, if we were a country church, okay, great. Amen. Praise God. We'd have just our few little farmers. We pray, preach the word, and go out and farm. You know what I'm saying? But we're in a community. I love farmers. We got farmers here. I love farmers. But listen, we are in a community. We're surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people. And the big churches around here—I've met these pastors, and I like a couple of them. A couple of the other ones, man, uh-uh. Oh, they care about some peeing contest or something, you know? Like, oh, how many you have? Well, oh, I've got. How many do you have? Well, oh, blah, blah, blah blah blah. They're fleecing their flocks and everything. They're all the stereotypical whatever. We can reach out without watering down. We can reach out in the Holy Spirit with the Bible, go verse by verse. We can be contemporary yet ancient in our theology. We can have conservative theology, great contemporary expression. We can reach out. We can be attractive community, and we can be the opposite of Jonah. And we can actually effectively, with God's help, go to Nineveh. But we can't run away from mission. Man, I don't know. I'm going to have to. Let me look at my notes here. Okay. Oh, listen, lie number one, only the irreligious rebel. That's absolutely false. Jonah rebels, and the reason why he rebels is because he wants grace for himself, but he wants justice for his enemies. Here's the second lie that leads to rebellion against God, all right? The second lie, this is a big one in everybody's life, religious or irreligious, but we, we become convinced that we can outrun the presence of God. We become, <laughs> this is a good one, The reason why we actually rebel is because we believe the lie that we can actually get outside of the presence of God. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but you see this in verse 3 of Jonah, chapter 1. Verse 3, it says, So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He says it again in verse 10. Even the others, the pagans are like, the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He's even telling the pagans on the boat, which we'll get to here in a minute, hopefully Lord will he says to the people on the boat they were like why are you here I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord now Jonah knows better and so do we you can't leave the presence of God you can go to the darkest corner man you can go smoke crack pipes in some corner somewhere have a bunch of evil people around you and demons and all the rest and you're still not going to get away from the presence of God just write down Psalm 139 Verses 7 through 10, where it says, where can I go from your spirit, O Lord? If I descend into the deepest depths of there you are. If I go to the highest heaven, there you are. If I go over here, there you are. I'm running from you. And there you are. It's like running, and there's like, there's God. Like, how can I get away from you? And he's like, you can't. How can I get away from you? You can't. And this is very important for us to Remember. Because all of culture, listen, culture regulates the presence of God so that it can prosper. And we compartmentalize God so that we at least have the chance of getting away in the times when we want to get away. So we like having God in our life. But we like to compartmentalize him so that in those times when you know, I just really want to rebel. I'll just go over here and God won't care because I'm over here and he's over here. Dude, you can't do that. But you can't let culture lie to you either. And sometimes, how many of y'all drink that Red Bull stuff? (laughs) Y'all are too healthy. You're like, disgusting. (laughs) How evil is that to bring that up? Dude, sometimes buy a Red Bull for like 10 bucks. It's like 10 bucks. It's like that big, all right? Be financially irresponsible and buy one, all right? And read the back of this thing. Read the can sometime. I'm sick. Next time you go to the store, I'll go to the next point. But next time you go to the store, buy a Red Bull and read the back. Read the description of the Red Bull. I mean, it's phenomenal. This stuff is better than prayer. You don't need... Listen, with Red Bull, you don't need the Holy Ghost. You don't need the presence of God. You know what it says on the back of it? It's like, first of all, it's going to give you wings. You know that, right? That's what the commercial is. Red Bull will give you wings. You'll fly away. And then it says, on the back of this can, it says, this will relieve your stress. (laughs) I mean, I need some Red Bull when I preach every Sunday, right? I won't have to pray anymore before I preach. I'll just drink Red Bull. Stress will go away. I'll communicate the Bible perfectly. That's only one little example. Start, watch the Super Bowl commercial. How many of y'all are going to watch the Super Bowl today? Amen. Pray. Yeah, we're American. God bless you. Godly, God-fearing people. <laughs> now listen. You're going to watch these commercials. You're going to watch these commercials. And here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to see all these commercials promise these products that basically take the place of God. The car is going to give you redemption. The VW is going to give you the force from Star Wars. Ferris Bueller's going to give you a day off in a Honda. I mean, you get Sabbath rest with a Honda. You get, you get the force of the Holy Spirit in a VW. You're going to get, man, and then, and then you're going to be sexy. I mean, if you use the right shampoo, your wife is going to want you again if you use the right shaving cream. Amen? They are going to want you. You see, God is totally replaced, and there's a psyche, there's a psychology in the air, and you've got to be very intentional in attacking it because everything around you from politics to sports to commercials is telling you God is irrelevant, God's not around. You don't need the presence of God. You can get out of the presence of God. You can get away from the presence of God, and here's what we do. We take the music, we take the stuff, we take the thing, we take the car, and we run and we're just like, shaving cream. We're like, VW, I'm running from God. I can get out, I've got you. Listen, listen, it's a lie. It's a lie. You cannot get out of the presence of God. God is with you everywhere you go, and God is available. But listen, He is with you everywhere you go, and He will discipline us. And when you realize that God is everywhere and he's with us and he's totally in control, do you know that even storms can be a message in our life? Even harsh circumstance can be a discipline. Not that all harsh circumstances are disciplined discipline from the Lord, but certainly we should stop long enough and say, God's with me. He's allowed this to happen. Is there something I need to learn here? God is present. It's a lie to say that he's not. That's why I love John Calvin's quote. Can I give you John Calvin? John Calvin says things in a way I can understand it. John Calvin says about this verse where he's fleeing from the presence of God. John Calvin says he was no doubt not only in a disturbed state of mind when he formed such a purpose, but he was utterly confused. <laughs> I love it. Utterly confused. And our culture creates a very confusing mentality, and we've got to be very intentional. We gotta wake up every day, put our feet on the floor, and say, God is with me. My God is present. That's a comforting thought. It's a scary thought. It's an accountable, it's an accountability issue. God is with me. So that's the second lie that you can actually. What are the lies that lead to rebellion? Number one, only the irreligious rebel. That's not true. Number two, we can outrun the presence of God. False buzz. Number three, it's nobody else's business. This is a big lie to rebellion. Like, yeah, I'm rebellion. It's none of your business. That was me when I was a kid. My life. Well, you're destroying it. Well, so I'll destroy it. I don't care. It's none of your business. It doesn't affect you. It's my life. It's nobody else's business. You know what? Here's the thing about rebellion. When we rebel against God, it becomes everybody's business. Watch this. Look at verse 4, Jonah chapter 1. And then I'll have to stop. I'll pick it up next week. But it says here, Everybody starts hurling as a result of Jonah's sin. Everybody's hurling. Verse 4. <laughs> but the Lord hurled A great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had laid down and was fast asleep. Isn't that just like a rebel? Everybody else is dealing with the consequences of our rebellion, and we go down, we're like, I'm asleep, And everybody else is suffering with our rebellion. Okay, where was I at? Thank you so much, Beth. You're sweet. Okay. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean you sleep or arise? Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you from? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. He's like Eeyore. I always read him like Eeyore. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the heaven and earth. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said, What shall we do to you that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up. Hurl me into the sea. I'll stop doing that voice. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Now here's all I want to say everybody is hurling and the reason why everybody is hurling is because Jonah is rebelling and that is so picturesque our life is a is a is a major ripple effect we have a major ripple effect In everybody's life, those close to us, those around us, those we work with, those that everybody who's even close to our boat, if we're in rebellion against God, it begins to impact them and not just us. It is a lie to say, well, if it destroys my life, so be it. I'll do what I want. It's nobody else's business. No, it becomes everybody's business. That's the whoever loving point. And what's sad about this story and what's the point of the author is this. The pagans look better than Jonah. Do you see the irony? Jonah doesn't want pagans saved. Jonah doesn't want people to know God. Jonah, doesn't, Jonah wants them all to go to hell. And when he says, throw me overboard, they're doing everything they can to save his life. And they're praying to God. The people who don't know God look more godly than the godly guy. I shouldn't jump like that. I won't do that second service. I'm actually, I'm tired. I'm going home. Isaac, you're preaching second service. I'm exhausted. I have nothing left. This is the point. God is saying, do you see the iron? When you rebel and I rebel, we start making the pagans look good because they actually have compassion for people and they have mercy for people and they... They want to do what's right. They have a conscience. They're like, I'm searching for God. I want to do what's right with my family. I want to do what's right with this and this. And we're like, well, I know God and trick you. And, and, and Jonah, but then, but then on, a, on a real level, let me just stop here. But on a real level, I'm the kid of an alcoholic. That's why I'm crazy up here. And do you know that when you have addiction or alcoholism or People in your family that, that do things, do you know that no matter how strong a person is, it affects them? And I have, I have daily reminders of the fact that I'm a kid who was the youngest of three who was the son of an alcoholic. That's why I got to make people laugh all the time. I can't have a conversation without trying to be funny because I want everybody to be happy. Please be happy. Please, please. And when I sin, and when I say a cuss word, which never happens because I'm a pastor, but if I did, and if my little girls hear that, which they don't, but I've come close. Sometimes I use like little substitution words like I won't tell you. But anyways... But when, when I do something evil in the sight of my daughters, no matter how strong they are, it affects them. And if they grow up and they rebel against me, and if they don't obey me, and if they, if they, if they totally leave the legacy of gutterages and godliness, it'll affect me. And it'll affect other people. And it'll affect everybody else. Because listen, when we run from God, it's just a ripple effect. And God... See, God chases us. He's in pursuit of us because He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves, number one. But He really doesn't want us to hurt other people. And He wants to actually use us to actually help other people to know God. I've got like 50 more minutes of this sermon, so I'm going to stop there because we need to do a benevolence offering. We need to take that up. We haven't done that in a while. And so I'm going to pick it up there. And uh, I have no idea how I'm going to preach that next week because I've got to go to the fish and then the song. But, anyways. We'll figure it out. But listen, if you don't know Jesus, Jesus became Jonah. In fact, Jesus kept comparing himself to Jonah. It's very interesting. Jesus is always talking about, you know, I'll do the sign of Jonah. And Jesus did the storm with the disciples in the boat, just like Jonah, to show them that he's like Jonah. He, in fact, Jonah is a type of Christ. And Christ was happy to account his life as, as, a, as a fulfillment of Jesus. Now, why, what, or Jonah, why would Jesus compare himself to Jonah, to this selfish prophet, this man of God who's running from God? Why would Jesus associate himself with Jonah Because Jesus came into the world to associate himself with sinners. He came to become a second Jonah, and whereas Jonah is our story, Jesus is our hope, and Jesus died, and on the third day, he rose again, just like Jesus was in the, the fish, and on the third day, he came out, and what Jesus is saying is that by faith in my name, you can be transformed. By faith in me, I will turn you from a Jonah to a Jesus. I will turn you from a rebel to I will give you my righteousness. I will transform your life, but you've got to make that exchange with Jesus so that that happens, because without Jesus, we're just going to be be Jonah. It doesn't matter. You've got to come to Jesus. You've got to give your life to him and let him give his life to you. You've got to exchange with Jesus. So let's pray, and uh, I want you to make that decision if you haven't. God, we thank you for, um, for Jonah. He's this man that you used, that you worked in, and like all of the men and women that you used in the bible he's sinful and he's helpless without you and that's really encouraging to us because many of us feel helpless and we just we just need to surrender we're we're tired of trying and we're tired of 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 making our spirituality this performance treadmill this thing and we just want to surrender to you and we want you to To come into our life and we want you to change us and if you got to put us in a fish put us in a fish but get us to a place to where we will rise again anew we will we will be transformed and God forgive us first we pray for those who have sinned against us and it's affected us forgive them but then we ask that you would forgive us and give us grace and love and compassion like you did the Israelites. Extend our borders. uh, Give us the mission and the purpose that you want us to have. Help us to live for you. We can't live for you without you. We can't live for you without your power and your grace and your transformation. And if you don't know Jesus, I want you just to take a moment and I want you to pray to him. I literally want you to stop running from God. I want you to lay down the lies. These lies that say that God can't have compassion on rebels. Obviously, he can. The lie that says that you can escape the presence of God, you will never get away from him. He will hound you for the rest of your life. He will give you quiet emptiness, loud emptiness, until you turn and repent and believe. And you need to cross the line of faith and stop running. So do that and say, Jesus, come into my life. I'm a rebel. I've been running, and I need your love. And I thank you for pursuing me all the way to the cross. Thank you for pursuing me and saving me by dying for me. Thank you for taking my place. And now give me the power of resurrection. Give me new life, Lord Jesus. Now, I'm a preacher. I I say these words, and and I've said them a million times. and, And I know that you don't know how to repeat those perfectly. And it's really not a formula or words. It's just about calling out to Christ in the name of Christ with your weakness and sin. So do that now. And if you do, let somebody know. Let me know. Come come meet with me or or email me or, or, or get together with me and let me pray with you and give you some things that will help you and give you some advice as you begin your Christian walk. Now, for the rest of us, we're going to take up a second offering for our benevolence fund. And this is for our food pantry. 100% of it goes back into our benevolence and our food pantry. None of it goes towards... Um, salaries or lights or anything it all goes back into the community on one form or another and so we're going to pass that and if you feel called to give to that then do that um, obviously the most important thing we do as a church is proclaim the gospel to people who are lost but sometimes people don't care about what we know until they know that we care and we got to bless our community not just with word but deed and Jesus didn't heal everybody, but he healed some. And Jesus didn't feed everybody, but he fed quite a bit. And, and then he would preach. And so, obviously, the preaching is the most important thing, but we need to be a blessing to our community. We can't always be taking from our community, taking people and resources, and we've got to give back. So that's what this offering is all about. God, bless this offering and help us to worship you. I call the ushers forward. Amen.